0: here from our our uh, series in first Samuel I hope that's been a blessing to you as much as it has been to me but we're going to transition for the next four weeks and preach on hope this morning I'm preaching on hope for the weary and uh, we're going to preach out of Matthew chapter 11 and we're going to read just two verses this morning for the sake of time verses 28 and 29. Uh, I want to thank you if you're visiting with us this morning and uh, I want to say what a blessing it is to have you here. If you have not been here before and you have not or you've been here and not filled out a connection card, there's one right in front of you and if you can take it right out of the pew back and fill that out uh, and then right after the service, if you'll meet me at the visitor's table and drop it off to me, I would would really like to get that card. Anything on that table we want to give to you just as a gift for being here today. There's some good material out there. One. Uh, book that we like to put in your hand is called the book done what most religions will not tell you about the Bible when I give that to you uh, there's also some devotional material and you're welcome to that we just want to say thank you for being here today but also if anybody needs any of that material whether it's to give to somebody uh, or for yourself I want to encourage you to come by also as well take a look and I know that'll be a help to you over the years uh, I have been giving many good tools by people through the form of a book, and and I got to surrender to you right here. I'm not a reader. He said, "Well, that's kind of weird because you're a pastor." I know. That's I say that that's how you know God has a sense of humor. Is uh, I didn't read my first book cover to cover till I was 26 years old. I did none of the assignments in high school. Teenagers don't listen, and um, and I was awful. I was a bad student, and 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 my mom used to tell me that's going to come back to bite you one day, and and so. I've had to learn to read and, and and read for a purpose. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I do enjoy being helped. How many know what I'm talking about? And so I endure the work so that I can be helped. And there's a lot of good things out there that I think will be a help to you. And so we're going to preach for the next several weeks on hope for uh, on the on the matter of hope. And uh, today, right after the service, there is some very very good looking pork roasts out there that have been smoked all night long. And they have your name on it, all right? And uh, there's some very interesting-looking salads out there. Some are potatoes, some are macaroni, some I couldn't identify. And uh, you'll have to just roll the dice with those. And then there's some desserts, and I hope that you'll stay around. I really hope that you will, and uh, I hope that you'll just enjoy the fellowship. Today is my family and I's 17th anniversary as being the pastor. And so we want to celebrate that together with our church family and say thank you, God, so much for being gracious and merciful and kind And my wife and I, even just yesterday as we were at lunch, we just want to affirm to the Lord that we want to be faithful, that's all we want to do. Uh, We can only do what we can do, and we want to be faithful to the Lord, and I think we can all do that, amen? I can be faithful to the Lord in preaching and in praying and trying to help Christians grow in grace and teach sinners how to be saved and and to know what real hope is all about. So we thank the Lord for the day, and we're looking forward to having lunch with all of you. I hope that you'll be able to stick around. The pork really does look good. Did I say that already? Okay. At the end of the service, I'll give you some instructions. My mouth's already watering. I'll give you some instructions as to how we want you to go through the line to be, I think, the most effective way to do it. And uh, I think there's going to be plenty of good food. Did I mention there was smoked pork? <laughs> I used to not be a pulled pork guy. I really didn't. And then uh, I got a smoker, so I smoke now. And uh, I've smoked a couple of times pork, sh- pork shoulders. Yeah. No, not the way that you smoke. I smoke differently and uh and, and and it it gets it gets better and better and better. Randy Sorrentino has kind of taught me. He's kind of been my my uh Jedi that has taken the Padawan through the course and I've become a smoke Jedi now. I don't even know. Oh, we have completely gone off the rails. So just so stick to the Bible. Dr. gets you say just stick to the Bible. All right. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Now these are Jesus' words. So I want you to picture being a Jew Living in your own homeland, but being oppressed by a Roman government who is 100% prejudiced. Who profiles Jews, who beats them senselessly, who uses them as they wish. And you come to Jesus now, and Jesus has been just briefly started on his ministry. And as you sit and you hear these words... I want you to picture being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you may never have known until this day. You've only heard about him, and now he speaks these words to you. Now, I've tried to paint the picture, because if you're a Jew living in your own homeland, but you're occupied by Rome, and and they're prejudiced against you. And they would use terms of endearment like, if you're a Jew, then you're a dog. Which would be the greatest insult... That you could possibly give to a Jew. In that day. And Jesus says these words. Look at verse 28. Come unto me. All ye that labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest. Unto your souls. For my yoke. Is easy, but my burden is light. Isn't it interesting that when we think of burdens, when we think of needing rest, we think of things like I need a nap, I need to take a week off, I need to just lay around for a while and recover physically? But did you notice what Jesus said at the end of verse 29? It says, my rest goes far beyond that. And it's the actual rest that you really need. You think what you need is relieving of the Roman government. You think what you need is a relief of the religious oppression or dictation. But what I'm telling you what you need is your souls need rest. And in order for that to happen, you have to come to me. Come unto me. All you that are weary, you could say really weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the death and resurrection that you have provided, the eternal gift of salvation to all of us. We're thankful that it's not in an institutional religion or a worldwide religion. We're thankful that it is not in sacraments or ceremony or duty. Lord, it is only through Christ. You are our only hope. And Lord Jesus, you're the hope for every weary soul here. And God, I know there are many of us. So as we come to you today, we pray that you would fulfill your promise. That when we leave here, we would have rest in our souls. I pray that you'd use me today, Please, by your spirit, help me to get out of your way. Fill me and use me as a vessel. Help me to be a blessing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin a brand new series called Hope is Here. And I would argue that the greatest need we have in our lives after the year that we've experienced, or now the more than a year, is a sense that there really is, no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, there really is hope in the world. Now, some of us have experienced a great loss in the last year and a half, and it's been very troubling. This year has caused some of us to doubt our faith. And the things we used to hold very tightly, we don't seem to hold them as tightly anymore. Some of us feel broken because of the pain in our country and in our world. Can we all just agree today at the very beginning that we all need hope? Could we all just agree with that today? That Look, look we all need that. There's a sense of that in all of us. It reminds me of a story about a man attending a Little League baseball game. The little children were all on the field or in the dugout playing their hearts out. And it was only the first inning, but the score was already 16-0. to Can you imagine? By the way, it was a league where they actually keep score for winners and losers, just thought I'd throw that out there. One team was losing in a landslide. So the man walked up to the dugout of the losing team, and he asked the little boy, and he said, Hey, are uh, are you discouraged a little bit? Have you lost all hope? The little boy looked at him, and he was a little puzzled, and he said, Why in the world would I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. There's always hope. You see, the fact of the matter is, as as long as as long as we're still beating as long as our hearts are still beating there is still hope because there is a living savior whose heart never stops beating who whose heart never changes there's there's always that sense of god you can turn us again unto you as in the days of old we can have your grace we can have your strength christians throughout history have had the audacity to have Hope in the face of trouble. And that hope stems from the victory of the resurrected Christ. First Peter chapter one and verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Timothy chapter one and verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Get it. Which is our hope. God defines the source and the strength of our hope. And so because Jesus is alive, there is always hope. Somebody say amen right there because he's alive. Now, when things look the darkest for Jesus. As he hung on the cross, he knew it was far from over. You understand that? Even while he hung there, even while people reviled him, even while his body was being drained of all of the blood, he knew that it was far from over. The tomb would not be the end. He would actually defeat death. Hallelujah. And he would come back to life. With this then, as the church's backdrop, backdrop, there's always a reason for hope. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus was always offering hope to those around him. We see that when you read about him whether it was a crippling disease or an oppressive government, a physical or spiritual hunger, or even a demonic attack, and it didn't matter what the age, Jesus would meet people right where they were. He would take them just as they were. The people living in Jesus' day knew that if Jesus is here, then there is hope. I submit to you the woman that had an issue of the blood 12 years, that had given all of her money to the doctors, and it was none the better. And she heard that Jesus was going to be in the way, so she made her way through the press. The Bible says to touch the hem of the garment. Why? Because she knew if Jesus is here, there's even hope for me. There's even hope for someone like me. It's good to be reminded that when you have Jesus Christ, there's always hope, no matter what you may be going through. And as we begin this series, I want us to consider our text and hope that Jesus uh, and the hope that Jesus offers. For those who may be weary today. And so I want you to take your outlines and follow along if you will. First of all, Jesus acknowledges several things here in our passage. And the first thing that he acknowledges is number one, that life is hard. Life is hard. Now, I, I am fully in agreement that even though Jesus was talking about rest to their souls and knew how deep the rest needed to go, that the majority of the people that was getting around Jesus really just wanted physical help. They wanted healing from their disease. They wanted bread. Many people follow Jesus and John. Uh, the book of john as they went after them in ships and as they found him he said look you're, you're really not following me but for one reason you just want your bellies filled so there's a lot of people that look to jesus just for that physical retirement if you will that rest because jesus acknowledges okay i'm not going to lie to you life is hard there are times when we're in need of a reminder that that there is hope life circumstances have a way of leaving us sometimes hopeless don't they the repetitiveness sometimes alone I would argue that there is nothing in life that can steal our hope more than when we find ourselves tired and when we're weary and when we've tried something over and over and over or done it over and over and over again. And it may not even seem like there's much difference going on. That's when sometimes we get wearied and we begin to lose hope when we're tired and worn out. The beginning of our text, John the Baptist has been put in prison and in his situation, he's begin to question everything that he knew about his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as his circumstances darken and as his circumstances become more dreary, he sends some of his friends and says, listen, I need to know. I want you to go and just ask Jesus if he's really the one. Now think about that. Think about what, what John the Baptist, who Jesus alone, in this very passage said, among men that are born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And yet he when his life ended him in prison, lost hope, even John the Baptist. And so he sends his friends and says, look, John's just wondering, can we really count on you to be the guy that you say that you are? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus turns around and warns him, hey, listen, you just go back and tell him, the blind see, the lame are walking, and those that have sins have been forgiven. You tell them what you've seen from me. And what does Jesus do? He takes John the Baptist's loss of hope right where he is. Listen. And he goes ahead and he encourages it. He says, let me just remind you. How many of us need a reminder sometimes from the Lord? Oh, yeah, all the time. So in this context, everything seems to turn dark and dreary. And so all of these provide again the backdrop for verse 28. Come unto me, Jesus said. Come unto me, Jesus said. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, it's important to know that Jesus is acknowledging That life is heavy sometimes, especially when we live without any margin. We work hard. We work hard to stand up, speak up and keep up and we get burdened down better. We can feel crushed even by our burdens. We fill our schedules going hither and yon. And we we have this timeline with a very little margin in it. And we come home and we just get we we just feel smashed. On a daily basis, even on the weekends. Think about how hard life is. When I say these words, letter A, responsibilities. Everything that you know you have an obligation to fulfill, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's in your own family, all the responsibilities you have. Uh, My son is learning that adulthood, with adulthood and maturity come responsibility. Now, I will confess to you that I was one of those ones that were late to maturing. What I mean is psychologically... Because I just felt like, I think, kind of some like the millennials do today that, well, you should just, mom and dad, you should just give me money. And I shouldn't have to work. And life should be easy. I should be able to go out to the car and, woof, it just automatically fills with gas. And I should, after I'm done driving all day, park it and, woof, it's still full of gas. And it doesn't need tires and it doesn't need brakes. And it doesn't need some of you are like, oh, yeah, I got to get this fixed. You know what I'm saying? Responsibilities or going to work and having to fill that quota or having to meet uh, my boss's needs or whatever. All of that. And then coming home and, and, and cooking dinner and washing up after dinner and vacuuming and all this kind of stuff. Uh, by the way, that's why we had children. The other day, my son was outside washing a piece of equipment out in front of our house, and this guy came out and he goes, boy! teach him how to earn his keep. I said, you got it, man. <laughs> he's out there just scrubbing away, scrubbing away. Some people, I think, go by and say, oh, look, that guy is like, he's running a sweatshop. That's like child labor. Hopefully when it's all said and done, my son will at least know what a hose and a hoe and a rake and a shovel is and a lawnmower and a weed eater if he doesn't cut his feet off first. <laughs> But the fact is, responsibilities can be heavy, can't they? But it goes beyond that. It's not just responsibility. Secondly, sometimes what weighs this down is expectations. It's expectations abroad. Look, some of you are so tied up in social media, you have this expectation bar that's set up here. And every day you get about right here, and then you get so worried, you just turn it off for the night. And then tomorrow morning, you get back up again. Right? The expectations of society, or what society says is the norm expectations of your boss how many have ever worked for a boss that you just didn't feel like you could do enough for some of you like yeah living in it right now what are you talking about you're self-employed man you can't do that you set your own self up but you had a boss i understand that oh you're talking about your wife not not here not not here wrong place to throw your laundry around the fact of the matter is expectations sometimes of your own kids The, 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 the bar is set and when you come under it Man, you just feel like you take, you can take your head to the wall and boom, what am I doing? It, or you feel like you just feel burdened, don't you? You feel exhausted by trying to help everybody all the time, trying to meet every, all the expectations. Let her see what adds to all that recipe is just the pursuits, just life's pursuits, everything that we want to go and do and and be a part of, and and whether that's a financial pursuit or or a vocational pursuit. Or, or or whatever, that, that pursuit and that drive, along with all of the responsibilities, man, I'm tired just standing here talking about it all. I would imagine that there are many here today who know exactly what that feels like. Let's talk about some of them waiting for a diagnosis. Well, that can be burdensome. Some of us go for just a routine blood check, blood check, uh, test just because we want to check our cholesterol, or our doctor says we need to, and we expect the results to be back like that. And then after a few days, we're like, "What's the deal? I don't want to know if I want to if I need to go buy Cheerios or not." But people who have cancer or think they may have cancer, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Think about the people who are said, "I'm sorry, you need to get your affairs in order. You're going to die." Think about waiting for that. Paying off bills, saving a marriage, enduring COVID nineteen, and every variant thereafter, and trying to grow in the middle of it all spiritually. Trying to say, "Okay, God, I'm, I'm not done with your book. I, I'm, I, I know I got all this kind of stuff, but I." i got to find time. I want to grow. God, I really do. But all this stuff is so burdensome, and and now I'm in Ezekiel. God feels burdensome alone just saying it. I said to the Lord this morning, now, God, I'm in Ezekiel, and I need something. I ain't getting it. I read six chapters in Ezekiel. I was like, God, I can tell you the span of Ezekiel's temple now, but I can tell you nothing else. I don't know what that's in there for. But I read it, and I said it kind of cynically, and I hope you're happy. But I didn't stop. I had to keep going. Yeah, I, you have to supplement here and there with other portions of Scripture, but it can be tiresome. Life is hard. It's like the NFL coach Vince Lombardi once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. We can't, feel like failure. we can't feel like failures at times. But you know, in all of that, can I just mention one thing that makes life even heavier than all of that combined is sin. Sin is the real burden that Jesus is getting to here. You'll recall in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man... After sin entered into the world, the Bible says under the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. By the way, that wasn't God's design. Didn't need to be. They were made with equal dignity, equal honor. And yet God said, "Okay, now for this, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be in submission to your husband. But wait, there's more. Then to Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face, shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground for out of the out of it thou was taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. We can all thank Adam for that. The heaviness, the difficulty of life, if you've ever tilled a piece of ground at all, I don't care what it was with a hula ho or with a drill. It's hard because of sin. Sweat and sorrow came because of sin. That's very burdensome. If you've ever cried a tear, it's because of sin. If anything has ever been hard, it's because of Sin. That's what weighs us down the most. And it doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Job chapter 5 and verse 7. Yet man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. There is not a person on the planet that doesn't have sin. So there is not a person on the planet. Without a burden. Without a difficulty. Without feeling wearied at times. Knowing all of this. Jesus offers a solution. He tells us to exchange. Our yoke. For another. Now the yoke there is not talking about the yoke of an egg. Alright? He's talking about. A, a worn harness by an ox, that piece of wood that goes across their necks and the ropes or the chains that would bind them to that yoke. And it allows the yoke of oxen to plow and to till the ground and to work it. It helps in guidance. It keeps livestock, listen, in submission to the farmer. Now, isn't it a little interesting? And, and you and I both know that in the agriculture day that Jesus lived, this was a known thing. So when Jesus speaks of taking the yoke that you have on you and exchanging it for my yoke. They're not equating yoke with easy. Do You understand that? He's it, it, In their mind they're like. Oh, that. That's a paradox Jesus. That, that doesn't make sense. No yoke looks easy. There's no laboring in that field. That looks easy. It doesn't matter the size of the oxen. Those oxen. It, it, it just seems like labor. And those are big and heavy. It doesn't make sense. There were people in Jesus' audience who were submitting to a religious way of life that was rigorous and hard to live up to. It was performance-based and driven by the need to succeed. I've gotta be perfect all the time and I've gotta do this and I've gotta do that. The yoke he was offering was totally different. It was one of grace. It was one of mercy. It was one of compassion and love. One yoke, one yoke causes people to be weary. The other Causes people to find peace. The one that Jesus gives. Here Jesus invites us to remove whatever yokes we have had around our necks and to place his yoke. Why? Because it's easy. It's light. His yoke brings rest. Now we would say, well, to us it would make sense if Jesus said, take your yoke and I'll give you a pillow. Give me your workload, and I'll give you paid time off. In fact, I'll give you paid vacation, and I'll pay for your vacation. We think that way. God says, no, no, no. There's something farther down inside that needs to be taken care of, so it requires that you learn of me. Now, he acknowledges the fact that life is hard, especially when you have the wrong yoke. Secondly, Jesus offers a better life. Jesus offers hope for the weary by reminding us that our value... It's not found in how well we hold it all together when things get tough or how we compare to people around us. And that's a real thing. And I understand that it's real to compare vacations. It's real to compare food. It's real to compare where we live and what we drive and how our kids look. That's a real thing. But none of that provides peace. It all brings with it burden. Why? Because of expectation. Our value comes from the love that God has for us and the grace that he gives. And all God's people should say amen right there. Our value is not in trying to meet the expectation or sustain a lifestyle that's success oriented based on what we do. We are not human doings, we are human beings. And so God says, I want to offer you something different. If If you're here today and you're weary, whether because of circumstances you cannot control or Situations that you're personally responsible for. You may be living in sin and you know it. And because of that, your life is not easy. That's a part of your life that that just has chains on it. The Bible says they'll be held by the cords of their sin. The fact of the matter is, Jesus says, I died, I rose again because I want to offer everybody hope. I want to give it to them. Because when Jesus is alive, there's always hope. What happens to all of our burdens when we come to Jesus? He takes them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. See, don't let the devil get in there and say, well, if God cares for you, then... That's how Eve got in trouble. If God really loved you, Eve, he'd tell you everything. That's not how it works. What's he do? What does Jesus do when we come to him? Well, letter A, he takes the burden of our sin. You you may be here and you've never been forgiven of your sin. By the way, no man can do that. By the way, no church can do that. No system of religion can do that. By the way, you can't forgive yourself. You can't. Do enough good. The Bible calls it righteousness, acts of good. You can't do enough good in order to be forgiven. Because someone who never had sin took your sin and did with it in the only way possible that it could be done. So that you could not have to worry about it anymore. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was, listen, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't it interesting that in that passage where God says, I'm going to take my son I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to put it in his body, though he doesn't deserve to die. I'm going to lay it on him, and that's called the chastisement of our peace. In order to have peace, someone has to get rid of sin. So Jesus said, I'll do it. I love them so much, I'll take their grief, I'll take their sorrow. Read the passage, everything that burdens people down, I will gladly take it. And it will be mine, not theirs any longer. If you're here this morning, and you're saved, and you're bearing a weight, you shouldn't be. Because that weight is what's making you weary. It's what brings the loss of hope. It brings doubt and despair. And God says, really what you need is to come to me. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? I want you to give me what's rightfully mine that I took on the cross anyway. I want you to lay it down. I want you to let me have it come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. And here's the promise. And I will give you rest. He takes the burden of our sins. Secondly, he leads us in a better way. Okay, Lord, I want to come to you today. Lord willing, in the invitation, there'll be people whether in your seat or here at the altar, and you're just going to lay down a burden. God, here's my here's my marriage burden. Here's my family burden. God, here's my financial burden. God, I don't know where groceries are going to come from this week. I don't know how we're going to pay our rent. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to have a job this week. I don't know how I'm going to retire. I don't know all of them. But it doesn't matter what the burden is. If I come and I lay it down, God says, I'll take it. And I'll give you rest. And from this point on, I will lead you in a better way. Why? Because I promised. That's who I am. I am the good shepherd. He is my shepherd. What's interesting about Jesus' illustration about a yoke is that a wooden yoke would not be worn by a single cow. It would be in tandem with a second cow. The more experienced would lead the other as they would work together to pull the plow. Isn't that interesting? I know a better way to plow this field. I know a better way to live. And I want you to follow me. My yoke is easy. Why? Because I'm pulling most of it. Now, that doesn't negate our responsibility, okay? Jesus said to those that were there at Lazarus' grave, remove the stone. Now, Jesus could have been like, and the stone rolled away, but he didn't. And God's not going to take your responsibilities away from you. But he is going to ask you to come to him so that you could bear them. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, 20, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. You guys know this verse He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All of Psalm 23 says rest in the shepherd's pasture. He Takes the burden of my sin. He leads us in a better way. Thirdly, he provides for a better life. Just Just keep this mantra in your mind during this message. Everything Jesus does is better. Everything Jesus leads me to do is better than anything I'm currently doing, than anything I could possibly do. I can't think of a better way of life than Jesus Christ, because Jesus lived the perfect life. Maybe that should be a serious title, The Perfect Life. The fact of the matter is, he provides for a better way of life. John 14 and verse 27 said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Now notice this, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, look, if you're going to come to me, you're not going to get from me what you can get from the world. I'm not a garbage can. Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. To love the world and to live carnally, the Bible says this, enmity against God. And yet Jesus said, look, I want you to know what you find in me is not going to be found in the world. And what is that? Peace. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Peace. Piece. how many have ever been in a hammock how many love it love a hammock how many have ever been almost assassinated by a hammock <laughs> I've, I've, I've almost been assassinated by a hammock a couple times my daughter said the other day i want a hammock i didn't say anything first of all i thought where are you going to put it then i realized okay she could put it there and then secondly i thought i i i i fearful of hammocks i don't know how to get in them worse i don't know how to get out if i do get in it am i ever going to get out I've seen people swallowed whole inside of them. I just, I have a fear for them. It's a phobia. I've got to look up what that is fear of hammocks. But normally, when you see people laying in a hammock, they're swaying back and forth. There's normally a palm tree and the ocean, you know, is crashing or flowing real easy in the breeze. And you think, oh, that is so peaceful. Jesus said, what you can find in nature, you're not going to find with me. My peace is going to go deeper and last longer than a palm tree or a visit on the beach. John fifteen eleven. these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So Jesus speaks that if we come to him, he says, first of all, I'm going to give you rest. In that, I will give you peace. Then he says, joy. Now, I don't know about you. I still haven't to this day. I'm 52 years old. I have never seen someone jogging with a smile on their face. Never. I've seen concern. I've seen fear. I've seen exhaustion, exasperation. I- I've never seen so. I've never, I've never seen a soldier marching with a thirty-five, uh, thirty-pound uh, sack and about a fifteen-pound rifle and an ammunition and a flak vest up a hill, happy. Right, right, Dave. Here we go, we're caissons, we're marching along. They're like ha 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 ha. Nobody is ever, let's put it this way nobody's ever happy, burdened. Right? Because it's heavy. I I I I you go to the gym, you don't see people, Scott, you don't see people squatting 250 pounds with a smile on their face. They're like <laughs> <laughs> they get it off and they're like, <laughs> yeah, you know. All the only time you see a smile is when the guy doesn't want anybody to see that he's looking at himself in the mirror. Twitching his peck, or he's like, you know, he'll like, yeah, I know that's what you do. I saw the camera footage. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, especially especially guys. girls are like, I still need to do some work. Guys are like, you know that's good. They walk out of there hoping somebody says, are you working out? That's just the facts. But look, the fact is, that is temporary. Why? Because you're going to have to go back to the gym. Right? When you're swole, you shrink afterwards. (laughs) Jesus said, I want you to forget about that kind of joy. I want you to get your joy from me. It's a better life. Exercise profiteth a little God says if you really want to profit then exercise yourself rather unto godliness and contentment. John 16:24 Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name ask and ye shall receive that your joy might be full. John 16:24 uh, I'm sorry 16:33 These things have I spoken unto you that my that ye might have my peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer there is rejoice. I have overcome the world. What are we saying? When Jesus is here there's always hope. When I come to Jesus, there's always hope. Why? Because He takes my burden of sin and He leads me in a better path, and the life that He offers is a much better life. Thirdly, and we're done, it's truly, and God knows that the life is hard. And it can weigh us down at times, even get us to the point where we begin to lose hope. But number three, life in Christ is not meant to be lived alone. It's not designed that way. In fact, In all of the creation, when God said, it's good, it's good. There was one part in Genesis chapter one that he said wasn't good. It was when man was alone. It's not good that man should be alone. And yes, that's talking about marriage. But I also believe that it's not good. Listen, for a Christian to be alone. Because there's a word in the Bible, two words. One is called the church. The other one is called together. Whenever you see a Christian By himself, it's normally because he's out of communion with the church. Demas hath forsaken the ministry for the love of this world. In 1 Corinthians, a man living in sin was told by the church that he needs to be put out for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Because he's living in sin. He's burdened and he won't come to Jesus. Well, what's the intent? The intent wasn't to punish him. The intent was to get him back in. And praise the Lord in Second Corinthians. He came back. Why? Because life in Christ is not meant to be lived alone. In Galatians chapter one and verses two, one and two. Galatians chapter six, verses one and two. Sorry. The Bible says, "Brethren, if a man be taken, overtaken, overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." Then it says, "This bear ye one another's burdens." and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia about the importance of living in communion or fellowship with one another. He's making his comments in light of the struggles in life that come from various places, but especially from sin. And he makes a statement that when lived out, puts us in line with the invitation of Christ to live his way. So when we talk about The life in Christ is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived together. And and we're talking about hope is here, and we're speaking of the church. And I want to explain that a little bit. First of all, the church is not a building. The church is not this place physically. It's not 17810 Monterey Monterey Road here in Morgan Hill, California. The church is not a building. The church is people. It's people who've come from a life of sin... But who have recognized and repented of that sin and who have come to Jesus. It's people who have been born again into the family of God. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. That passage begins to take effect when you realize okay the church was in its infant stage when jesus was with his disciples but on the day of pentecost it was empowered and when it was empowered it was multiplied and the following verses say that they were all with one accord together that's the pattern people can say well how are we going to do church today and how are we going to do church tomorrow how are we going to do church 10 years from now i hope it's that pattern because that's the pattern that god established He said, look, if you have nothing else going on, but you have me and you have the word of God and you have the body of Christ, that's all you need. I can work with that. And he proved it. Next chapter, 5,000 people. Next chapter, thousands. So many, they just stopped counting. All because of what? Because the church wasn't a building. Who came? People who were burdened. Who listened to the preaching? People who were weary. People who needed to come to Christ. And when they did, they found something in something that wasn't a building. Because at that point, there was no building. You have to remember, they weren't meeting in a building. They were meeting in the outer court. They were meeting outside. Paul, when he pulled into one place, they were meeting down by the river. The fact of the matter is the church has never been a building, but it's always been a people. God says, I I don't want you to live it alone. So we, we have this. We have this tainted and stained and reservation about the word church based on however you've grown up with it. I'd like to break that mold. And say secondly, why is the church designed? For burdens. That's what it's designed for. Whether it's responsibilities, expectations, whether it's pursuits or sin. The church is designed for people to come into it. Not the doors. Come into the fold. And be healed and find rest and find purpose all of that jesus christ created a living organism called the church for people who live without margin i don't have any other room for anything else especially church well you need to be here even more and we need to help you understand that if you're going to marginalize marginalize something else but not the body of christ why because you're not meant to be alone You're not meant to be outside of that people who become burdened for people who are exhausted from trying to meet expectations of an individual or an organization or even a religion. Whether your burdens are self-inflicted because of sin or expectations or cares or responsibilities of living that are, are that are weighing you down. The church is to be a place where people just like you and I come alongside in the spirit of Christ and as extensions of grace bear your burdens See, what we do a really good job of today is not telling the truth. How are you doing? I'm good. How's everything work? Fantastic. Everything at home in your marriage? Wonderful. Can't imagine it being any happier. Right? Now look, what I'm not advocating is coming into the church building And the moment you get in here and say, okay, everybody listen up. I just want to tell you what I did this week that was really bad. I'm not advocating that. But I am advocating it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the spirit of truth fell on the people of God? And somebody had some friend in the church that would just say, you know, you you seem like something's wrong. Is everything okay? And for, and for, for the first time maybe in your life, say, it's really not. Can I talk to you for a minute? Would you pray for me about something? Struggling in my marriage, and I say that to you, knowing that in confidence that you'll take it to God with me. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I, I, I'm struggling with my kids. I don't know where he is right now. Something happened when he turned 13. His frontal lobe is missing, and there's it's it's just goo. I don't understand him. He doesn't understand me, and I really am. <laughs> that's teenage life. If you have one, it's coming. It's a burden, right? Wouldn't it be, let's use the word, easier if someone were to come alongside of you and help you with that? Just to pray with you? To beg God's wisdom and grace on your life? Oh, that's what it's supposed to be. If, if any of if you, the Bible says, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Oh, by the way, that takes into, into into account the fact that somebody in the church is spiritual, that somebody's walking with God. But by the way, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. That just means that man, I I want to go to someone I know who's praying. I, I I want someone who's with God every day to to pray for me, and I want to know that. Why? Because it feels like when that happens, the burden comes off my back. Braden will go with me to the gym, and as he's working out. I'll, I'll just I'll just barely touch his elbows, like when he's doing a bench press or something, and I'll just barely touch him. Say so one more, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. And he's like, oh, I did it, and I'm barely touching him, but that touch was all he needed. Do You need one of those today. Sometimes you come into church and man, I'm telling you what, well, you just feel like you've been beat to death. Sometimes it's for your own, it's because for your own sake. I get it. We've, we're all dumb sometimes. But it would be so good to come and just have someone touch your life. Let me say it this way, for you to allow them to touch your life. I think we've done a good job of scaring away some good people sometimes. the Church is to be a place where people just like you can come alongside and bear your burdens. Number three, and I'm done, the church is a blessing, it's not a curse. It's a blessing, it's not a curse. When Christians are here, listen, Jesus is here. Do you hear that? Or two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I want to go to a place where Jesus is. I don't ever want to be a church where Jesus isn't. I want to be in a place where Jesus is working. I want to be in a place where Jesus is being manifested in the lives of people. I want to be in a place and I want to live a life that would be a help and a blessing, not a curse. When we invest in the relationships that God gives us within the church, we find help in living within our margins people help us look i need management with my time i'm completely out of control i have no time for god i have no time for being together with the family of god i only have time for all of these activities why doesn't somebody get with god and get the language in the heart and the mind of god and come along that person with uh, alongside that person and say hey listen maybe we just need to slow down together Maybe just maybe we just need to refocus a little bit. Would, by the way, would that be a bad thing? Would that be bad? Would it be bad for somebody who's spiritually mature, and, by the way, who loves you, to come alongside and say, "Hey, I'm a little burdened about you." And I wonder if you are as well. I wonder if you sense the margins that you're keeping sometimes. Sometimes we need someone to help us say no. No to the things that occupy our time. No to the things that occupy our attention or occupy our resources. Or sometimes even to say no to sin. Sometimes we need someone to remind us that we're loved by God. And that's all. Sometimes that's all. I just want you to know, teenagers, listen to me. You're loved by God. You need to know that. You need to know that from the age of 12 to the day that you die... Satan is going to do everything in his power to tell you otherwise. But always remember that God loves you. Always remember that he does. Sometimes that's all we need. Sometimes we need someone to help us slow down and rest in the grace of God. No man hath seen God at any time. Jesus said, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, and he in us because he hath given us. Us of his spirit. Did you hear that? And his love is perfected because he dwells in us. What does that mean? When the church is together, when we're here, Jesus is here. And where Jesus is, there's always hope. Always hope. So let me ask you, are you burdened today? Are you tired? Because Jesus invites you to find rest. And you don't have to do this life alone. You're not meant to do it alone. It's not good that you're trying to do it alone. It's not good that you're just trying to get by in your Christian life what you think you're getting by with, you're actually going back. We're in this together and all of that gives us hope. Or perhaps your burden is sin. You're lost and you know it. You have no hope of heaven. You could not give me a Bible reason if God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? That today you know for sure. This is how I know. What the Bible says, this is how I know. Now you tell me what you've been told or what you've been taught, but you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Your hope is in a dead religion or it's in yourself. And that's heavy. You know something's wrong. You're battling with it because the Holy Spirit's telling you even as I speak. And you know it's sin. And that sin separates you from God. That's heavy. You know the Bible word for that? Condemnation. The wrath of God abideth in Him already. Those are huge words. In fact, you could say those are heavy words. But here's your hope. God loves you too. And He died for you. And He rose again the grave. Three days later, He came back to life. And he lives today to offer one thing. Hope. Living water. To say, I want you to be without your sin. I want you to know that if you come to me, you will have rest for your souls. Why? Because all you have to do is ask, does that sound like an easy yoke or not? For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds similar. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's, what's my burden? Jesus said the only thing you have to do is repent. All you've got to do is say no to sin and yes to the Savior, and it's done. You're saved. You see, Jesus died for us, then came back to life so he could offer us all of that. That's hope. 1 Peter 1 speaks of it. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He said it's a lively hope. It's an eternal hope. And the only hope and rest that I can possibly find is through Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound like a deal or what? That's the greatest deal of all time. Because it comes from the one person who can actually make it real, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's bow our head and close our eyes just for a minute today. Thank you for listening so well. The Lord's here, and He's spoken. And there are people in this service that need to be saved. There are Christians that need to do business with the Lord. I understand that. But I wonder if, as the piano begins to play, if you'll be here, nobody looking around, please. You just say, Pastor, I've never really heard it the way that you said it today, but I understand it. And If I understand it correctly, I know in my heart today that I need to be saved. I don't know if I died right now, I'd be in heaven, but I sure would like to know. If that's you with nobody looking around, could I just pray for you this morning? If you're willing, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I I don't know if I died today, I'd be in heaven, but I would like to settle that today. I need to be saved. Would you just slip up your hand and put it down real quick? I won't come to you, I promise. I will not point you out or embarrass you. Pastor, that's me. I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all? Pastor, my burden is sin. I need to be saved. Pray for me. Anybody like that, Christian? Then let me ask you: Are you weary? Are you tired? Spiritually, are you tired? Physically, are you tired? What's your burden today? Maybe you say, Pastor, I, I'm saved. I know it. I'm on my way to heaven but I am burdened for reasons that you spoke of or perhaps even reasons that I didn't speak of. Maybe you'd say, today, Pastor, I need to lay these burdens down. I need to take take my burdens to Christ. I need to come to Him. I've not been with Him. That's why I'm burdened. I need to be with Jesus. And today I want to do that. Would you pray for me? How many would say, Pastor, God spoke to me very clearly today about my soul, about my life, And I need to come to Jesus today. I have a burden. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? Just slip over your hand. Anybody? All over the building. Somebody else? Pastor, pray for me. I have a burden. I need to lay it down at the cross. Somebody else? I see that hand. Somebody else? I didn't raise my hand before. Pray for me. When you pray, Pastor, remember me. Anybody else? Real quick, just slip it up and put it down. I see those hands. Thank you so much. Somebody else? I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Somebody else? Pastor, pray for me. In a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to pray. When I do, I would just like to invite you to this altar with nobody looking around. If you feel the need to come to Jesus because he invited you today, then I would invite you to come kneel right here before this church family, just before the Lord, nobody looking around, and just bear that burden to God. Would you do that today? God will give you rest for it, especially if you leave it there. Would you stand with me together with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, we do pray now and ask that you'd be with these that have risen their hand and those that maybe didn't even. God, their burden. I don't know what the burden in their life is. I really don't. And it's not for me to know. But it is for them to bring it to you. And so I pray that you'd help them, encourage them today. Help them to find courage in stepping out. Help them to find courage in kneeling down. Help them to find courage only at Jesus. And Father, I pray as they do, no matter what that burden is, I pray that you would give them rest. You promised it. God, you promised. You promised. As David said, then, Lord, would you please do as thou wilt, as thou hast said. Do as thou hast said. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation in the hearts of those that are tenderized this morning who've been listening for you. Help us as Christians during this time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the invitation's open. Have Thine Own Way, Lord, is the hymn. If you need to come, come. If you'd rather just pray right there where you are, then then I would encourage you to do that. Whatever you need to do to come to Jesus, just go to Him.